Methodist weird. Last week, Pastor Eric kicked us off with a wonderful sermon about provenient grace, which is a really fancy way of saying that we believe that God's love goes before us, that God's love is present to us, maybe even before we are aware of it drawing us to God. And that gift is a free gift to us. That grace is a free gift to us all. Next week, we are going to talk about the polity of unity, which is a fancy way of saying that Methodists believe we are better together. But this morning, I'm bringing you a message that's near to my own heart about what it means that we believe as Methodists that we can be perfected in love in this life. Now, John Wesley began to form his thinking on this when he read the words of the Sermon on the Mount, which we will share a part of this morning today in our scripture reading. But before we do, because this is such a familiar sermon to so many of us and a familiar piece of scripture, I want you to take your mind out of everything you've heard about it and try to imagine what it would be like to be in the scripture, to be there with Jesus. Not just to remember the words, blessed are, but what would it be like if you were invited up onto that mountain to sit at the feet of Jesus? Now, if you're like me, I have never had a moment of sitting on a mountain at the foot of a great teacher. There were days in my younger years where we would beg a teacher to take us outside if the weather was nice, but I've never sat on a mountain to hear a great lecturer. But what it occurred to me as I was reading this might make sense for us in this day, might help us put ourselves here is imagine this, imagine this. You have seen on the internet a really wonderful TED Talk. Do you know what these are? These brief talks by experts in certain areas. And let's say that you have seen a TED Talk that has millions of views. This TED Talk is so phenomenal that like Oprah is touting its greatness. Brene Brown is quoting it. And you have the opportunity to go to an auditorium and hear this speaker live and in person. And as you sit down in an auditorium with thousands of your closest friends, the speaker begins to talk, to unravel for you what it means to live a happy life, what it would look like to live your best life. And this is how the speaker begins. Happy are those who are hopeless. Okay? Happy are those who grieve. Happy are those who are hungry and thirsty and you're starting to think this isn't what I got in for. And the speaker continues, I know that people have taught you that life means this, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't mean that at all. You thought up was up and down is down, but it turns out it's not. Now, as you can imagine, if you had gone to this talk, you'd be a little confused maybe, starting to get a little anxious, angry, defensive. And that's exactly how those people felt, I imagine, when they were sitting with Jesus. Right there at his feet as he begins to teach them that everything they had been taught in synagogue, everything that they had read from scriptures, was not quite it. And then Jesus gets to this point. At the very end of what's been called the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 5, verse 43. And this morning we're going to read 43 through 48, and you can see it on the screens behind me. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good 
And sins reign on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, choir, and thank you, Bill, for the lovely music this morning. It makes this experience of worship so rich. So it's weird, right, that we would say that people could be perfect, perfect in love in this life. And yet, that's exactly what United Methodists believe. When Eric and I became ordained, we had to stand in front of a body of people as we were asked a historic question of John Wesley. Do you expect to be made perfect in this life? And we both said, yes. As did everyone else with us, as has every Methodist minister, and it's not because we're egomaniacs. It's because of what John Wesley taught us about this very scripture. You see, this scripture can repulsed some people for a couple of reasons. One is we don't really like to hear that what God would like us to do is to show love towards people who harass us. In fact, if someone came into my office and said, I am being harassed, I would say, please go as far away as you can from the person who's doing that to you. Because that's abusive. But Jesus says, love those people. And then he goes on to say, not only love those people, But I want you to be complete. I want you to be complete as God is complete. Or another translation you may be familiar with, be perfect as God is perfect. Now I have to tell you a lot of people who have read this scripture have done a lot of theological acrobatics trying to justify why there is no way in the world, no way in the world Jesus would tell us to be perfect. No one can be perfect, can they? And so they will sit and pick at the minutia of the scripture and say, this is exactly why what Jesus said isn't really what Jesus said. But John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist movement, was not one of those people. In fact, John Wesley preached a sermon called Christian Perfection in which he said, I believe what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that we can become perfect in this life just as God is perfect. But Wesley knew to do this was a risky move that people were going to think he was weird. I mean, they already did think he was weird. He got run out of a lot of churches and ended up preaching to a lot of weird people in weird places. But at the beginning of that sermon, just to prove that he knew how crazy it was, he said this, Whosoever preaches perfection runs the great hazard of being accounted by them, by people, worse than the heathen's or publicans. He says he realizes by telling you that he believes that people can be made perfect, he runs the risk of being counted worse than someone completely outside of the church who completely rejects God. He realizes that he could be considered worse than that, or worse than a publican is like a smarmy tax collector. (laughs) I would say maybe like a modern-day politician type, maybe. I don't know. 
So John Wesley says, I know what I'm about to say is going to sound weird, but I'm going to say it anyways. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about why I think this is weird and why I'm weird, if you'll allow me this morning. You see, I actually kind of like the idea of Christian perfection. It kind of appeals to me. When I was 13 years old, I found myself in a confirmation class at a Methodist church, not because I had been raised there, but because a friend had invited me. And we began to go through all of these things that John Wesley believed, prevenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, which is another way of saying perfected and love. And I thought to myself, I found my people. You see, what you should know about me is that from a very young age, I was a compulsive perfectionist. Compulsive. When my mother would put on my socks for me, they had to be on just so. No wrinkles. The seam had to be exactly at the top of my foot. If while placing my foot in my shoe, the sock twisted in any way, we would start the process over again. It was not perfect, and I would not tolerate it. I would not wear clothes that were wrinkled. Nothing that touched my body could have a wrinkle in it, and to this day I won't wear khaki or linen for that very reason. It drives me crazy. I call wrinkles the devil's creases. At school, if I sat down to do homework and I had to erase something because I had made a mistake, if that eraser had gotten too gummy or dry and left a smudge, the entire piece of homework, even if I was on the last question, would be crumpled up and thrown away and I would begin again because there could be no flaw on the homework I submitted. Now, my mother was here this morning, and I promise you she said amen when I said this. I'm lucky to have made it this far. I almost drove that woman crazy. I call her on a regular basis when I see these traits popping up in my own child, and she just laughs. (laughs) She's like, that's what you get. But I loved the idea of being perfect because I could control my life. I could control how things were. I could control how I presented myself. And the idea that there was a religious group that understood this and promoted it was the penultimate for me as a 13-year-old. These people really must understand me. It wasn't until years later when I was trying to process this perfectionist tendency in myself that I realized that neither John Wesley nor Jesus meant that we should all be perfect all the time the way I was understanding it. You see, what I had to start realizing and what we all unpack at some level at some point is that when we are driven by the need to be perfect, we will inevitably make mistakes. I've made 27 of them already in this sermon this morning. And when you make a mistake but you hold yourself to the standard of being perfect, you feel shame. Lots of awful shame because you're bad, you're wrong, you didn't do good. And so I had to come to terms with the fact that either I believed in a God who would be ashamed of me if I made a mistake, or my understanding of perfection, as I had reasoned it in my brain, wasn't really what it was all about. You see, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing there is breaking down all of these either-or policies that people had developed about who could and couldn't be a part of the faithful, who should or shouldn't be looked at as blessed. And Jesus takes those things and says, I know you've heard this said by good religious people, but I'm here to put it through the light of God's perfect love. 
In fact, you know, in this scripture, he quotes Moses from Leviticus 19.18, when Moses is speaking to the people on behalf of God, and he says, you must not take revenge or hold a grudge against any of your people. Instead, you must love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, I know you heard that. Moses was a good guy. God sent him. But God has sent me to take it one step further. I know you've heard that you should love your neighbor, but I'm telling you, you should love even the people that are really, really hard to love. People who are cruel to you, who harass you, who are mean to you. John Wesley, in preaching on this, wanted to make sure that we all understood as followers of Jesus exactly what Jesus was getting at, exactly the standard to which Jesus was holding us to. And so after John Wesley says, if I preach this, people are going to think I'm a heathen, he goes on to say that before I tell you what it looks like to be perfect, I'm going to tell you all the ways you will never be perfect. He says, you're humans. You will never be free from infirmities. This is a human body. It's going to break down sometimes. It's not always going to work the way you want it to. You will never be free from that. He said, you will never be free from temptation. There are always going to be things that are tempting. Things that God wouldn't want us to do, but things that are just calling to us. And you can't avoid that. John Wesley said, you are going to make mistakes because you are human. You will never be perfect in making no mistakes. You're going to make them all the time, every day. You might have already made a few this morning. And Wesley said, you will not be free from ignorance. Only God knows everything. There are going to be things you don't know. And because you don't know them, you will make mistakes and you will hurt people. And that's okay. We're just naming that that's the human condition. So then Wesley goes on to say, so how could you be perfect? He said, you can't have the perfect body. You can't even not make mistakes. There are lots of things you're not going to know. How can you be perfect in love like the scripture says? Wesley said this, the scripture's not asking for you of your own control to be perfect. The scripture is acknowledging that we worship a perfect God, a God who loves us perfectly. And if we can hand the power over to God, if we can love God with all of ourselves and love our neighbors with all of ourselves, God through God's perfect love will make us perfect in this life. You see, for Wesley, it was one and the same thinking. If we believe God is who God says God is, and we believe that God has the power to transform us, of course we believe that the perfect love of God can work in us and through us to make us perfect in this lifetime. If we don't think that, then do we really think that God loves us with a perfect love? Wesley would say no. Now, if you're like me, this sounds really great. Perfected in love, God's perfect love. I want some more of it. I don't like making mistakes. But it's hard, right? Sure, we can love God with all of ourselves, but this loving other people thing is not easy. This giving ourselves up completely and trusting that God will show up and help us be the people we want to be is hard. But it is so central to who we are as Methodists. You see, as Methodists, we realize that in this scripture, when we talk about perfection, 
It's not an instant perfection. It's not, a, you're going to wake up tomorrow and say, God, I love you, and boom, never make a mistake again. It's a lifelong journey. It's a goal. The Greek word here actually means a goal to which we are working. Telos. It means that as Methodists, we believe that we're never going to stop learning. We're always going to keep working. No one is exempt from the journey to being perfected in love, and it's a good thing. It also means that we know to be on this journey, we have to have other people with us. I don't know about you, but I rely heavily on the people in my life to tell me when I'm being stupid. I need people who look at me and are like, Stacy, man, today you missed the mark. I need my kids to be like, why are you being a mean mommy? So I can check myself and go, whew, man, that is not what I wanted. That's not what God wants for me. We need people to help hold us accountable for the mistakes we make because it reminds us that we have to keep trying over and over and over again, moving towards this goal of being perfected in love, not because we're capable of doing it ourselves, but because God wants this for us. God already loves us with this love. We just have to practice handing ourselves over to God one day at a time, one decision at a time, so that we can be perfect in love, just as God is perfect in love. But I'm going to tell you the truth, it's hard, because there are some people that are hard to love. I know I'm not the only one who thinks this. There are people in our lives, there are people in our social networks, there are people that we run across on the street that are just hard to love. And this journey of being perfected in love doesn't let us shy away from those places. You'll notice that Jesus says, it's not good enough to just love the people who are like you. That's not the love of God. Sure, you should love your neighbors. It's a good idea. You should love your family and people who are like you and agree with you. But you should also love people who disagree with you, who make you mad. Now, that's a weird message. Love the people who make you mad. I opened up my news app on my phone this morning, and the first picture was, I kid you not, two people face-to-face -face screaming at each other. I mean screaming. I couldn't see the words, but I could sense the words. They were at some protest rally and found themselves on opposite sides, and they were screaming at each other. And I thought to myself, what would it look like for God's perfect love to enter that? What would it look like for people who are formed in God's perfect love to step into all of these places in our world where evil is being met with evil, anger with anger, violence with violence, and say, this is not what God wants from us. This is not the kind of love God shows us. What would it look like for each of us in here today, each of us who is trying to become more perfect in the way that we love God and more perfect in the way that we love other people, to take just one small step forward. What would that look like? I want to invite you to think about those people in your lives. Do not name them out loud. <laughs> that would get awkward. Who are hard to love? This could be anyone. Someone at work. Someone at school. It could be a family member. It could be a neighbor that blows their leaves at the wrong time of night. It could be a family that doesn't parent the way you think they should parent their kids. Those people who just really unnerve you. 
Think of those people. Bring someone to mind. Now I want you to imagine, what is one way, just one way you could show love to that person? One way. You can start real low, okay? You don't have to go and embrace them with a hug. You could start by smiling at them. You know, love in that picture that I saw on the news article, I thought love in that moment might have been just closing the mouth and walking away. That would have been a powerful act of love in that moment. It would have changed everything. Just disengaging from the conflict. Love can be listening. Love can be putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Just imagining what their life might be like. These are all small steps towards a very big goal. And yes, I know it is crazy and weird for us to stand here and say that we believe that when Jesus told the people sitting on that mountainside that they should be perfect just as their Father in heaven is perfect, that we believe that it will happen and that we believe that it could happen in this lifetime, not someday when we all get to heaven. I know that's crazy. But can you see how the belief of being perfected in love, of Christian perfection, of sanctification, of whatever label you want to put on it, is a source of great hope, especially in our world today? This idea that life doesn't have to be like this, that we don't have to be like this. We don't have to feel ashamed when we miss the mark. We don't have to feel bad when we get angry. But we do have to continue the work of becoming better and better versions of ourselves. And that's good news. That's good news. Because it means that the work that we need to do is to worship God. A God who loves perfectly. And if we can worship God and try to follow in the path that God has set before us, we can step closer and closer to this idea of perfection. If we can accept for ourselves that God loves us perfectly and would like us to do the same, we can make our world look a little bit more like the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'll be the first to tell you it's hard work, and I promise you, as a pastor here at Chamberley, I am going to make mistakes. <laughs> I am not going to be perfect. I got over that a long time ago. And then I had kids, and I really got over it. <laughs> including the pen marks on my shirt today. Uh, but I promise you this. I'm going to walk beside you in this journey, and I'm going to hold you accountable, and I want you to hold me accountable so that we can all walk together to be a more perfect place, to be a family that is pushing each other to be the best version of ourselves we can be. Let's pray. Gracious God, there is nothing we can do to ever earn your love. And yet even though we are messy and make mistakes, even though we are full of blunders and frailty, you still love us anyways. You never ask us if we did everything right. You never expect for us to know exactly what's going on. You just ask that we have a humble heart, that we seek you, and that we share your love. In this time of worship together, 
Help us release any shame that we carry for the mistakes we've made. Help us open ourselves to your grace. And help us be inspired to continue every day to walk in the path that Jesus has set before us, that we might become perfect expressions of your perfect love. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you find this morning that you are looking for a community,